Welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple, the wordy podcast for logophiles and anyone really who has some kind of passion for language. Um, with me, Susie Dent and Charles Brandreth. I have to say, Susie, I've come to your home again, but you're looking wrecked. I am. Have you not had any sleep? No, it's a recurring theme, isn't it? Maybe we should do a whole podcast from the language of sleep. Oh, that's a Land great nod, idea. 40 winks. Oh. Yeah, I, and that might just send me that. off. Is this because <laughs> you, you've been out at the boozer? You've been. I haven't been out at the boozer. I wish that was my my excuse. No, I've just been working too hard. Are you a um, drinker? Do you drink alcohol? I do drink alcohol. And How much do you drink? I love alcohol. How many units? Do you count it in units? Do you know? I used. To, I went for three years without any alcohol whatsoever and then one evening up in media city after a long day of countdown everyone was sitting around having some fantastic red wine and i just thought sod it and i had a delicious glass of red wine and i haven't stopped but i don't drink a lot i probably have three a week oh you don't drink every night i don't drink every night no no but when i do i really really enjoy it and i've discovered the best cocktail ever called a gin fizz for special occasions only gin elderflower cordial and Prosecco. Oh. oh, it's it's amazing. So it's amazing yeah, that's my how gin has become fashionable. Because it used yeah. to be the, the drink for the, the, the working poor, We need to it? talk about that. Yeah, the Gin Act of 1736. Oh. It was drunk for a penny, dead drunk for two, because it killed off so many people. Gin used to... And now it's the chic thing. They have sort of... They have gin tastings. People all get together. And... Distilleries everywhere. You know, it comes from juniper. Well, it comes from a Dutch word, Geneva, which meant juniper, because, of course, it's made from juniper berries. But because it sounded a bit like Geneva, the sort of gin bit came into um, into English with that pronunciation, and, and that's where it came from. But in the capital alone, by the 1730s, gin was public vice number one, and there were 7,000 outlets for what was called the cursed vice. Was it very cheap then? Was that the point? It was really cheap, very cheap to make at home. It, I mean, it seriously was. There were lots of paintings that you will find with people who apparently are sort of committing all sorts of acts of debauchery. Gin Alley? The, was that a real gin place? Gin Alley. There's Gin Alley. I mean, was and, it a place or was that just a turn of phrase for someone? Actually, else? I really don't know. Let's have a look. Because I think of an artist like Hogarth doing pictures of... Exactly. ...dissolute people in Gin Alley. Exactly. The poorest of lots the poor. Lots of posters. Out of their minds. Public warnings. And there were lots of euphemisms for it as well, some of which were quite playful, like strip me naked, which sounds like a modern um, cocktail. But Doesn't actually, that it? Goes I have a strip centuries. me naked. And what is it? Um, gin. Um, it's a oh, and so mother's you... milk. Um, oh, it's like mother's milk to mm, me. The gin's like oh, mother's milk to me. Sweet stuff, tiger's milk, tittery, royal bob. Tittery, royal mother's bob. Mother's ruin. I remember gin, mother's ruin, because in fact yeah. it was mother's ruin, wasn't it? Oh, well, absolutely it was. I'm looking up gin alley now. That's the Oxford English Dictionary that you can hear at my fingertips. Um, it's not actually in the OED, but leave that one with me. I'll have a look while we're, while we're talking. Yeah. I gave up drinking ooh, about 20 years ago. I gave up drinking in order... When I'd been an MP, I put on about a stone, if not more. Mm. And when I lost my seat, I thought I'd regain my figure. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, to help me do this, I won't drink. Because the House of Commons, in my day, they were all night sittings. Of course. And it went on anyway till 10 o'clock on an ordinary night and then often right through the night. And you ended up sitting in the bars, having a drink, waiting to vote. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to give up. And I gave up completely overnight as no more drink in order to lose weight. I lost the weight. And then I thought, oh, I've lost the weight. Now I'll have a, a drink. And I had a glass of wine. And, oh, I had a migraine, a terrible migraine. Oh, I thought I'd stop that. Wait a few more weeks. Have another glass of wine. 
This time, didn't have just a migraine, but dizzy spells, had to lie down. A friend of mine had exactly the same thing. I was quite lucky that after a period of abstention, I was all right. Well, well or unlucky, depending on I clearly wasn't. So I went to the doctor. I said, you know, these migraine. And he said, well, you could try organic wine. Ah. And I thought, well, I'm not, not going to bother. And so I gave it up, and I do not miss it. At first, I used to miss it. I never drank during the day, mm. but I used to miss it at six o'clock. It was that sort of permission to, oh, mm. it's the end of the Quaff-tied. day. Quaff tide. Six o'clock. That's what it's called. Yeah. Quaff tide. Lovely word. And But now I don't even miss it then. No. I do have little treats. You know, I have a little elderflower cordial and I indulge <laughs> myself. My uh, wife, very sweetly, imports from France some fruit juices that are uh, nectars that are actually crushed fruits. Mm, nice. So I have a strawberry nectar that is simply crushed strawberries, mm. raspberry and peach juice. So I have those as, as little treats. So I look forward to those. So I have a little uh, veggie sausage <laughs> and a little raspberry nectar. You know how to live. Yeah, it's quite exciting. And then we but turn we, on we Naked Attraction and the night begins. Hey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we need to talk drink though because yes. linguistically it's... Oh, there's just so much to say, really. Well, where do we begin? In the pub? Well, in the pub. Let's begin in the pub. Um, shall I give you a few names for the pub over the centuries? Yes. Um, I had tip here to Jonathan Green, who is Mr. Slang in the UK, and he's done these incredible timelines of particular themes, money, sex, drugs, uh, certain parts of the anatomy, which, of course, you know, just they just produce so will generate so many slang terms and uh, so I had tip to him because he helped me with with them um, with these in the 1600s uh, the pub was fuddle caps hall or the tippling booth hold on you say the pub that's yes. short for a public house isn't it it is and why what is a public house why was it called a public house a public house because well the first pubs were kind of um, set up by monks actually they made a huge amount of money from the brewing of ale and any monastery that did this would hang often a sort of, probably not a sprig of juniper berries, but they would hang greenery hops, outside maybe. the monastery. Maybe hops, it was hops to show. I don't to know. show, yeah. So you will um, have the green man, for example. That's one of the earliest things that goes back to the to the idea, or the bush. And then, you know, anyone in a village who decided to brew at home would do the same thing, um, would hang some greenery outside. A, so a give, me those, come in. Go, give those so, early names again. Fuddlecaps Hall. Fuddlecaps Hall, because even then people got befuddled. You get befuddled. That's why I gave up alcohol. I couldn't bear being befuddled. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Fuddlecaps Hall, go on. Um, the Mug House, the Tub of Blood. The Mug House. Is this because people took advantage of you? You became a mug. Do you know? I don't know. Or it could just be they had a mug of beer. We could look at it both ways. Ah, the what, Lushington Crib. I love that. The Lushington Crib. The Lushington Crib. There was crib. one before I quite liked, the bloody... The tub of blood. Now, I would have associated that with a theatre, but I'm not. Again, I don't. I'm not quite sure why. Um, shaker shop, stagger juicery. Shaker shop. Yeah. Shaker shop. How do you spell shaker shop? Uh, shaker shop is um, S H I C K E R. Shaker shop. Shaker goes back to the Yiddish. Shaker meaning to be drunk, simply. Shaker. Um, he was shaker. He, he was, was drunk. Shaker. Then the person dispensing the drinks could be the ale draper, the cove of the ken. I love that. The governor, obviously, mine host, the sud slinger. The, the gro- sud slinger. Is that because with beer at the top, the foam looks like suds, soap suds? Yeah, we talked about balmy before, haven't we? Balmy being the foam at the top of a cup of beer or a glass of beer. No. Um, it's also it's a brewing term. You'll find, you'll find it in tea as in, making. He was well. a bit balmy. He was a bit balmy. He's frothing at the mouth or just a bit frothy in the head. Oh. Yeah. Groggist, 
brother of the bung grief. There's so many. And there are a few. No, I'm loving them. Groggy. Groggy. Okay, so Grog goes back to Admiral Vernon. Admiral Vernon was a hugely successful naval commander who actually inspired the Portobello Road, the name of the Portobello Road and Portobello Market because of a famous victory at Portobello. So uh, George Washington's brother also served under him and was so impressed with him. He's an American general. No, he was British. And of course, George Washington was British originally. Exactly. I think it was Lawrence Washington served under him, came back to his family home um, in America and renamed, I can't remember what it was called originally, some very deeply uh, American name, but he renamed it Mount Vernon, which is, of course, where George Washington lived out his life. Anyway, Grog, Ma- uh, Admiral Vernon used to wear a really heavy coat made of what was called grogram cloth, which is this really thick um, coat that kept him warm on the high seas. And he became slightly unpopular because he ordered the sailors' rations of rum to be diluted with water, not to prevent scurvy, just because he thought they were drinking too much. And as a result, he became known as Old Grog because of his grog room coat. And it was said with a bit of a snarl, Old Grog, who had watered down their rations. And then Grog eventually lost its, its moorings and became a byword for alcohol. And in a sense, also a byword for the rations. My grog. My grog, yes, that's true. My grog of rum. Um, where were we? We were on more of your, I'm loving <laughs> these groggy. old words for... Hair of the dog. Do you want to know where that comes from? Hair of the dog. This is a drink you take, as it were, to get over your hangover. Yes. So hair of the dog goes back to a belief uh, that persisted for many centuries, that if you were bitten by a dog, you could grab the offending animal, pluck a hair from it, put it in a poultice and put it over your bite and the wound, it was thought, would heal a lot more quickly. And so the idea was, I mean, difficult as it must have been to catch the animal, the idea was that a bit of what did you harm would actually do you some good and that was transferred over to alcohol then. Hair of the dog. So hair of the dog is a good one. That's a cure for... Have you ever been drunk? Oh, yes. Really? Of course. Haven't we all? No. You've never been drunk? No. Brandreth. Is that the honest answer? No, no, I don't think I've ever been drunk. What's it like? What being, being drunk. drunk? Can you remember? Um, I, 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 sh- I should add, <laughs> she may be modifying what she's saying because we're recording this at Susie's home, and one of her daughters has just slipped back into the house <laughs> with, I hope, some bags of mystery, which, as you know, is a phrase for sausages. Um, so her mother now, having a teenage I've daughter... I've never been drunk in my entire life. ...is now saying she's never been drunk in her entire life because Lucy is listening. <laughs> but the morning after clearly is bad. It's not nice. No. I've seen people acting like the morning after and they lift their heads with difficulty from the... Mm. And clearly, ooh, the head feels mm. terrible. That's when you take the hair of the dog. Very odd um, hangover recipes, apart from the hair of the dog, actually, um, which is uh, another remedy involved mixing crab's eyes in wine or vinegar and knocking it back. Crab's eyes in wine or vinegar and you knock it back. You knock it back. Um, I've also got some some great words for you for... Actually, I might save some of these for my my trio at the end. Um, But I'll give you one, a snack lifter. I think it's a pub called a snack lifter, actually. A snack lifter is someone who peers into a pub in the hope of seeking a friend who will buy them a drink. Oh, that's nice. They lift a snack as the door latch. So they lift the door latch, peer in. Is there anyone there who might buy me a, buy me a drink? And then, and then they'll go in. A pub name's very old. I used to write yeah. for a, a double act called Hinge and Bracket. Dr. <laughs> Evadne Hinge and Dame Hilda Bracket. 
they were a, a drag act. Yeah, I know. I they, 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 they played two elderly ladies, and they yeah. were two delightful people, Patrick Fife and George Logan. Patrick's no longer with us. George, I'm happy to say, is alive and well. And they were very funny people. And I scripted a, a series, or several series, we did for TV called Dear Ladies. Mm-hmm. And uh, Patrick was always invite, inventing wonderful names for the local pubs, Stackton Trestle, which was the imaginary village that they lived in. And I think he called the local pub the Goat in Spats. Oh, And I, like that. I think as a result of our programme, dear ladies, real pubs began giving themselves amusing names rather like oh, that. Slug and lettuce and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Goat in Spats. You can picture it. Where, what do pub names go back to? How old are they? Um, well, as we've established, I mean, ale has been with us for, you know, for a very, very long time. And people so drank ale, of course, because the water wasn't very good. That's absolutely the right. The water was dangerous, whereas yes. ale was and safe. Small, small beer was weak beer that often kids would drink. You know, it was watered down beer. Oh, so when you say something, it's small beer, yeah. it relates to beer that had been watered beer. down. Yeah. So meaning it's it's not as strong as, so you give so a child. it's a bit insignificant. Small beer. the idea. Yes. So, oh gosh, there's so many. I, I mean, there's been loads of books written about um, pub names, but um, the Bag of Nails is one of my favourites because that was probably originally the Bacchanals. Um, and we all know about Bacchanalian rites where people would drink to excess. And we don't all, all know about that, but Bacchanalian... Bacchus was the Greek... God, God of, of drinking. Of drinking. And we see him as an overweight person in a sort of nappy holding a huge bunch of grapes. Is that right? That's Bacchus for you. That's Bacchus. He gave rise to Bacchanalian adventures. And the Bag of Nails is a Bacchanalians. People that's in... what we think it was. Yeah. How wonderful. The Elephant and Castle goes back to, um, you know, the district in London, yeah. um, the borough of London. That goes back to a pub that was called the Elephant of Castle. People think it's got something to do with Eleanor of Castile. But we think actually it goes back to a livery company that used to have its premises on the site. And they were cutlers, basically. So they were the worshipful company of cutlers. And on their coat of arms, they had um, cutlery. And they also had an elephant because a lot of the handles for the cutlery was made of ivory. Uh, so we think that's where the elephant... And there was a castle on the top with that in, as a howder, really. So that's where we think Elephant and Castle comes from. And I assume that these pub signs, the origin of them, is because it's before the time of universal literacy. Mm. The checkers. Yes. Uh, Romans hung a sign of a checkered bar outside a drinking establishment, but also in medieval days, pubs and pub landlords often um, doubled up as financiers and they would count their money on a checkered tablecloth or a checked tablecloth so checkers was a sign that this was a money lender or money establishment as well as a pub chancellor of the exchequer goes back to that same checkered tablecloth on which the royal money checkers and money counters would would sort of move money around in order to calculate it so you could go into your pub you could borrow the money or get the money and mm-hmm. then pay for the booze yeah. i am and you know I'm, I'm thirsty i'm feeling have you got a ginger beer in the fridge let's let's take a break while i go and raid Susie's fridge do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Uh, Susie, I must make a confession to you. You know, you very sweetly sent me a text saying what we're going to talk about today, or suggesting it, because yeah. you you only make suggestions. And I misread it, because when, yes. when I went back and said, yippee, I thought you'd said, let's talk about puns. You said, let's talk about pubs. Yeah. And I know nothing about pubs, which is why I've been very quiet this week, but I've come with my favourite puns. Okay. Keep getting your wires crossed, and you'll end up with a mesh. Get it? Yeah. Yay! I used to be... Oh, no, I won't do that one. Um, <laughs> he was a loafer till he went on a sandwich course. Now he's the breadwinner. Uh, people who indulge in wordplay certainly get up to semantics. I like that you one. You like that one, isn't it? That's good, good. Prayer of the Confused Cobbler. May my soul be healed. Oh, Clever, isn't it? We need to devote a whole episode to We'll have part. a whole, because I've got hundreds of puns ready for today, and clearly I'm they sorry, are... sorry, I've let you down. We they haven't are even... surplus to requirements. So, yes. Has anyone written true. to us this week? Yes, they have. Emma has written in to say, Hello, do you have any idea how bread basket became slang for stomach? Uh, my colleague's surprised. I've never heard of it, and I can, can't find much about it. Bread basket. You bread mean baskets. like a paunch? I'm not sure it's actual paunch. I think it's actually, it's quite a sort of fit-looking, rippled oh, stomach. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. I think. I like to feel I'm a bit buff. Oh, no. Silence. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Carry on. Um, so general stomach area, just because obviously that's where the bread goes. Um, the answer is I'm not actually sure, and I'm not sure the Oxford English Dictionary knows either. So but this is really very interesting. The, the, the reason for getting in touch with us at Purple at Something Else is because Susie Dent is the world's leading lexicographer and, and has all the answers. Answer. But she doesn't appear to know the answer. But that's quite satisfying the that people are actually out there who know more than you do. Well, that. I suppose what it shows is that, you know, the kind of linguistic detective work goes on and it always does go on. And there are so many really frustrating examples of um, fantastic words that you can look up and it will say origin unknown. In your show, you're still touring your show, aren't yes. you? Remind me what it's called. The Secret Life of Words. The Secret Life of Words. Are people asked, allowed to ask questions? Oh, yes. I have a word surgery at the end. Ah, and what is the word that comes... What is the question that comes up most often? Uh, okay, um, I have strange questions about Jimmy Carr quite often, but the one about English that I'm asked most often is, why do inflammable and flammable mean the same thing? And tell us the answer. This is very nerdy, but it's the only sort of example in current English of in used as an intensifier, not as a negator. So in normally cancels we, out. Excuse me, you lost us all just have, there with that phrase. So normally you think of in as being the negative of the adjective that comes like out of in gratitude. Inept. Yeah. Yes, ingratitude, inactive. Yeah. Um, Inaccessible. Exactly. But in this case, in is used as an intensifier. So inflammable means it, highly flammable. But because people were mistaking it to mean not flammable, i.e. you can have this duvet near naked flames and nothing serious will happen, companies now say flammable or highly flammable. So, and inflammable's pretty much gone away. So the use of in there is like an intense, which means more tense. It's, 
sort of yes there's this is yes that's not not quite a direct line there but it's a sensitive thing insufferable doesn't mean not sufferable it means insufferable no it does mean not sufferable that oh. one but intense is a good example good intense is a good example <laughs> insufferable this is this shows you that we're just real people doing this we don't know all the answers we are winging it inflammable we and really flammable is the most popular question well it's one of the most popular then i get asked you know, can you be gruntled um, oh, can you can you be, well we're gonna we're gonna devote oh, an entire God. program oh, to what word nerds call orphaned negatives Orphan negatives. Now, there's there's, a juicy there's always <laughs> something to look forward to. You still haven't been to, because you're doing your show in the sort of theatres I'm doing my show. Yeah. You still haven't been to see my show. My tour ends at the end of July, yeah. but I have been persuaded to return to extend next it. year. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm postponing it till next year. So next year, you come to London. I'm at the Cadogan Hall. In London, excellent. On the 9th of May next year. I know that's a date in my diary. I think, I don't know what day of the week it is, but come to that one. I'd love to. Because it's a big theatre. You are indefatigable. And they're... Seriously, uh, you never stop. Now, is there a word... You like Jimmy. Defatigable. There is a word fatigable, meaning tired or able to be tired. Yes. Okay. It's time now for your trio of words. Every week, if you're new to our podcast, Oh, the post is arriving. Is that the, a very loud letterbox. Or is that a little signal from the post person? What, saying, let me in? Because I haven't it's seen any letters coming enough. through. He no, just he... saw the letterbox rattled <laughs> and then nothing came through. He's just showing yeah, you he's I arranged in the street. this. Whenever you were going to talk about your tour, I arranged for a little... Yeah, no, I didn't. What's, what's uh, okay. Susie's trio for this week? Right. The first, of course, pub-related, shot clog... Shot, S-H-O-T-C-L-O-G. Yes. The pub companion who you only put up with because they're buying the next round. Oh, he's a shot. Centuries old, that one. He's a shot He's a shot. He's a bit of an obstruction, but we'll put up with him because he's paying. Oh, how awful. Now, you're not one of these, but I'm one. And Paul and Lawrence, who are with us, are also... We are tosspots. Because... (laughs) The original tosspots were simply drinkers who tossed back their bottle of beer... And then usually ask for another one. So we, we're not, yeah, they were kind of habitual drinkers. Maybe but the idea to- is you're tossing it off, is it? Exactly. Well, well, so <laughs> but you're tossing off your drink. Yes. So call someone a toss pot is not actually as rude as you might think. Tosser is slightly different. Oh, tell us the difference between well, toss pot and tosser. Tosser is all about masturbating and toss pot is all about drinking. This is the charm of <laughs> something <laughs> rhymes with purple. Is. We tell it as it is. What's the next one? Um, the third one is... Um, the friend who always turns up whenever they hear a, a cork popping or a beer can opening, and that is a lick spigot. Lick spigot, yeah. as opposed to lick spittle. Oh, yes, lick spittle is another good one. We should mention that in the what, political episode. What is a lick spittle? A lick spittle is somebody who just, it's a bit like a fart catcher that we mentioned in our politics. Oh, you episode. lick up somebody else's spittle. Yeah, horrible. You're so admiring them. Oh, their very spittle is attractive. Let me lick your spittle. Ugh, That's a lick spittle. Gross. That's this is really, a li- really old, though. This is lick a lick spigot. One who licks the spigot. This is 1600, so 1599. A contemptuous name for a tapster or drawer. So it can be applied to a publican, but most often somebody always turns up when there's a smell of alcohol around. Oh. And we haven't even mentioned cock-a-hoop. Cock-a-hoop. Well, look, I'm feeling cock-a-hoop now. Let's end on cock-a-hoop. Cock-a-hoop goes back, apparently, to setting the cock on the hoop, which is apparently to turn on the tap and let the liquor flow. And the result is you are cock-a-hoop. Well, I'm cock-a-hoop. I have learnt so much again. I love being with you, Susie Dent. You are amazing. 
the amount you know, the fount of wisdom that is in there is extraordinary. So really, if you have enjoyed the podcast today as much as I have, uh, um, and you're feeling cuckoo like me, raise a glass and review us or, or rate us to help spread the word. If you've got a reviewing or rating mechanism on your podcast thing, if not, just spread the word. And if you've got a question you'd like to answer or you'd just like to get in touch, you can email us at purple at something else that's something without a g something else all one word dot com can i just mention the origin of intoxicating oh i'd love that um you know well toxic is something poisonous uh, it goes back to the poison that was put on arrows of archers centuries ago so they were that toxophily obviously goes back as well to the poison that was on the tip of the arrow it's a deadly deadly weapon and the result was that the victim would be intoxicated would be poisoned and of course alcohol is a poison and it got transferred over to the boozy kind wow you live and learn something rhymes with purple is a something else production produced by paul smith with additional production from russell finch lawrence bassett steve ackerman and, and gully and gully Eek. Brr.